Well, good morning again. If you would, take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Colossians. We are in the home stretch. We are in chapter 4. And in a few short years, we'll be finished. (laughs) I've just really, personally, I have enjoyed preaching through Colossians. Um, It's just so rich and so deep in terms of the finished work of Christ, and I trust it's been a blessing to you. And today we will begin what in essence is the the final um, doctrinal content, if you will, um, of the the book as we look at verses 2 through 4, and then we have 5 and 6 with some additional final imperatives and then the balance of the epistle is dealing with greetings and salutations and exhortations um, that are important and will glean much from them more than you think. Um, I, I will guarantee you that. There's really some unique things to take away from uh, the balance of the, the epistle beginning in verse 7 through 18. But today's focus is going to be primarily on verses 2 through 4. We may not get through all of it, but we'll be more working our way towards that objective. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we love you. Thank you for allowing us to be here today. Thank you for our time together as the redeemed of Christ. Thank you for the reminders that we've had of the sufficiency of his work and your love for us through, through him and the songs that we have sung this morning. Thank you for the mercy that you've extended to us and the demonstration of your power to preserve your people as we read this morning in Psalm 136. Help us to be mindful of these things. Help us to be worshiping you as we contemplate these things. Thank you, Lord, for our salvation. Thank you for uh, the, the freedom that you have given to us, how you delivered us from our captor and how you kept us and preserved us and will continue to do so until that final day. We look forward, Lord, to what you have for us today in the book of Colossians. Bless us with the presence of your Holy Spirit. Open our hearts and minds to understand the word, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. So Colossians chapter 4, beginning with verse 2, writing, of course, to Christians. Now, let's keep this in mind, all right? Paul is writing to saints, the redeemed of Christ in Colossae. So pay attention because what he's going to be giving to us is important instruction as believers, as saints, as holy ones. And the topic is incredibly important. It's the topic of prayer. And I want to make certain that we understand what he has to say here because Christians, I will submit to you, have gotten prayer wrong many, many times. It's been turned into something that it ought not to be. And it's often abused and misused and used for purposes that God never intended it. So I want you to pay close attention. And the context is incredibly important, which I will set for you momentarily. Verse 2, devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. Verse 3, praying at the same time for us as well that God will open to us a door for the word so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ for which I have also been imprisoned, that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. 
Now, Paul here, of course, writing to these dear saints is concerned for them, and he's giving them some important instruction. In so doing, he's giving us important instruction too. And prayer is a topic that Christians oftentimes um, spend, I think, a lot of time thinking about um, in terms of at least praying when they think they ought to or need to. Sadly, many prayers become mere recitation in rote. We say the Lord's Prayer, we repeat that at night before we go to bed, and we think we've covered all the bases as far as prayer is concerned. But that's not the case at all. The pagans do that. The pagans can engage in that mindless, rote type of praying. Indeed, the Lord's Prayer, more aptly named the Disciples' Prayer, is not to be copied in terms of just mere recitation, nothing wrong with memorizing it, but it's actually a template, an instruction, if you will, as to the content of prayer, as it relates to the things that we ought to be petitioning the Lord for and the things that we can be thinking about while we pray. What I think is significant about what Paul does here is the things that he covers with regard to praying and the things that he doesn't mention with respect to praying. Some of the things that are absent from the content of this passage are significant. Now, let's keep something in mind. Where is Paul at when he's writing this? Paul is in prison. He is, a, he is under house arrest in Rome and ultimately is going to be executed. During his time there, he's writing certain epistles and he's witnessing to people, but it's significant what Paul does not talk about with respect to his own personal condition or circumstances in regards to the content of prayer. We also need to be mindful of Paul's own example of prayer, which is found in chapter 1, verse 9. Let's go back and be reminded of how Paul prayed for the Colossians. This is very, very important because um, prayer... I think is oftentimes more syrupy sentimentality than it is biblical worship. And prayer is worship in many ways. My dad used to say that prayer is the simple, sincere conversation with Christ. And I think he's right about that in terms of how we pray and, and the content of our prayer. It doesn't have to be some magical liturgical statement or saying or or liturgy that way, but a simple and sincere conversation that is from the heart and focuses on the things that are important to God. That's insignificant. Look at Paul's model for prayer. Verse 9, for this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask, now look what he asked for, and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. So that's significant. And so Paul's model for us demonstrates what, is, what ought to be the priorities in our prayers. Paul is praying for these Colossians to be maturing spiritually, to be perceptive about the days in which they're living, to have a true biblical knowledge of the work and person of Jesus Christ, that they would grow in that 
so too should you and I be praying for each other that way. And Paul is going to reemphasize that type of point again at the end of this epistle. So the, it's interesting to me that Colossians is kind of bookended with these two ideas about prayer. We have Paul's example of prayer in verse 9 in chapter 1, and then in chapter 2 he redirects our attention to the idea of prayer, the principles of prayer, and the content of it. The first of which is the idea of being devoted to it. And so that's what Paul says to us, beginning with verse 2, right out of the gate, devote yourselves to prayer. So let's talk about this for a moment. Paul now moving away from um, these household codes that have occupied his attention since chapter 3, beginning in verse 18 and through verse 1, he now moves into this issue of prayer and also to witnessing, which we'll see in verses 5 through 6. And in so doing, Paul now begins to bring to close the main body of this letter as he has set forth the priorities of the Christian life based upon the finished work of Jesus Christ. So this idea of being devoted is something that Paul finds and encourages Christians to demonstrate. Devotion. To be devoted to something. As unbelievers, we're devoted to all sorts of things, weren't we? We were devoted to the things of the world, the cares of the world, the, the, the things that the world thinks we ought to be devoted to. But here for Paul, Christians have a different focus because of Jesus Christ. And we are now able to do something that we couldn't do before, and that is to pray. And so Paul wants these Colossi believers to pray, but to pray correctly, to pray with a proper focus and mindset with regard to the content even of their prayer and the frequency of it. Now, Paul here is not setting forth some rigid discipline that if you fail to do this, you're not a Christian or you're a bad Christian. Prayer is something that all Christians ought to do. We're encouraged to pray in 1 Thessalonians 5.17 without what? Ceasing. Now, does that mean that you're supposed to be constantly praying 24-7? Is that possible? No. Is it practical? No. But you can have a mindset of prayer, can you not? You can be thinking about God and about your relationship with Jesus Christ and, and through the course of the day, praying to Him in your car, I've had a practice for years that before I walk into a courtroom, I will pray that the Lord will give me wisdom and ability to do the things that he has called me to do as an attorney, and that in so doing, his name would be glorified. To have that attitude of prayer, to have that mindset is what we're talking about here. But what we're not finding is some rigid formula of prayer. So the idea of devotion is different than just mere pagan recitation. Okay, this is what I want you to understand. A Christian's prayer life is driven, and as we will see, from a heart of gratitude. Paul will say that we are to be devoted to prayer, we're to be alert in the context of that prayer, and we're also to be expressing thankfulness in our prayer. Gratitude drives our prayer. Why? Why should we be grateful? Well, what did we just read in Psalm 136? That God is merciful. So in the context of praying, one of the things that you're going to be thinking about in your prayer life and the motivation for praying, praying is the fact that you are remembering and being reminded of the fact that God has been merciful to you. And you're going to be thankful for that. I think a lot of Christians approach Christ in the context of prayer like a genie in the bottle. They pray in crisis. 
Isn't it funny how your prayer life changes in crisis? Crisis mode prayer life. Crisis driven life. Oops. That's where most Christians find themselves. But Paul here has a different perspective. So let's think about this for a moment. Paul's call is to devote yourself to prayer. And so this command to devote, importantly, in the grammatical context, is in the present tense, which means it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's an ongoing, steady practice. I, I don't want to use the word necessarily habitual because I, I think habits put us more into a legalistic mindset. I, I, I'm concerned about some of the pietism that has crept into Christianity that demands that we engage in certain disciplines in order to be the right kind of Christian. That, get, that gets us in a wrong place. We then begin to have confidence in the fact that we're engaged in the disciplines. Our faith becomes in the discipline's performance. We become those who faith in our faithfulness, if you will. And when I lay my head down on the pillow at night, I'm wondering, I'm ticking off all the boxes. I did this, I did this, I did this, I did this. Okay, I can sleep okay tonight. But then you think to yourself, oh, I didn't do this. And so you rush through something real quick so you can tick the box off. You say the Lord's Prayer. Boom, you're done. Oh, great. I got to tick that box off. I can sleep now. I've been faithful. I'm going to rest in my faithfulness. Well, the Lord still loves you if you forgot to pray last night. The Lord still loves you if you forgot to pray this morning. I'm going to remind you as your pastor that you ought to pray, as is Paul here. This is what he's saying to the Christians. You ought to be devoted to the principle of prayer. Why? Because you love the Lord Jesus Christ, and you want to talk to someone that you love, right? I mean, you love your wife. Do you talk to her? Do you love your kids? Do you talk to them? Do you love your husband? Do you talk to him? Of course you do. Devotion compels you to be engaged in communication. And so when we're devoted to something, we want to be in communication with that person. And so too with Jesus Christ, especially considering what it is that he has done. And this is what Paul drives the Colossians into. And so indeed, in the present tense, he is saying to me as a Christian, John, Joel, Del, Aaron, whomever else is out there, Be mindful of the fact that as a Christian, you ought to be devoted to prayer. Not a mindless form of prayer, but a sincere prayer from the heart. A sincere praying from the heart. A devotion that is driven from a heart that is given over to Christ because of what Christ has done for us. So we should be, in the sense of the grammatical structure or the literal language, if you will, from the passage busy, be busy ourselves or busy oneself with, be busily engaged in the practice of prayer, to give some level of attention to it that is consistent, that is consistent. Spurgeon would say that prayer is the natural outgushing of a soul in communion with Jesus. I like that. Prayer is the natural outgushing of a soul in communion with Jesus. And so we are in communication with him. And isn't it wonderful? Unlike any other religion, we're able to go to him, right? The the Hindus don't get this. The Buddhists don't get it. The Muslims don't get it. 
Even Roman Catholicism deprives people of a real genuine prayer life. You're having to pray through saints, and you're having to go to confession, and you're having to do ritualistic kind of prayers, praying through beads. That's not prayer. That's, Paul would reject that. That's just, that's just mere mechanical liturgy. I mean, I'm not going to say it. Uh, maybe I should, but I won't. Nonetheless, we don't want that. We don't want to begin, be engaged in that mere ritualism. This is, here's my fear, too. This is one of the reasons I, I'm concerned about even prayer lists. Because then the prayer list becomes the boundary for your prayer life. You only pray the prayer list. You only pray about what's on the prayer list. Paul doesn't give them a list in the context of that type of thing. He doesn't say, um, he doesn't give a list of names, he doesn't give a list of ailments, he doesn't give a list of circumstances. His prayer life is very doctrinal, it's very Christ-focused, it's very gospel-oriented. You'll notice that the purpose of the prayer is to open doors for ministry opportunity. We'll see that even to the point that Paul is asking you to pray for him that he ought to preach in the way that a good preacher ought to preach, that is, with a focus on Jesus Christ. That's verse 4. So I want you to think about this for a minute because, again, I'm going to submit to you that Christians have gotten prayer significantly wrong over and over because we've, we've made it something that it ought not to be. Now, you would think... You would think that the list that could be created for this church would be overwhelming. I've got slaves in it. I've got people who are sick. People who are having difficult lives. Life was not easy. The economy at this point in time in Colossae is churning down because the trade routes and the highways have been changed. And so Colossae was known for the selling of red fabric. Well, they changed the roads and Colossae was getting bypassed and they weren't able to sell the red fabric like they used to. People weren't coming to Colossae to get the red fabric like they wanted, had been in the past. You would think that the economic downturn would be an issue for Paul. Well, let's pray about that. But no. You find nothing in the context of Paul's emphasis on prayer to be about anything regarding their own personal lives. Not about the difficulties of their lives, not about the circumstances of their lives. But the focus for Paul when he prays for them is that they would have an increase in the knowledge of the things of God, that they would have an increase in their biblical understanding about the hope, about the work and person of Jesus Christ, because doing that helps you to rise above all those other circumstances, right? Those circumstances aren't going to change for them. Are the trade routes going to magically go back to Colossae? No. Is life going to become magically easier for the Colossae believer? No. What's going to get them through those difficulties? Knowing who Jesus Christ is. Knowing the Bible. Knowing the God of Scripture. That's what's going to get you through the storms. That's what's going to help you to weather the difficulties of life. As I know Jesus Christ, as I appreciate who he is and what he has done, 
that is going to elevate me above the circumstances of my life and push me forward through the most challenging of times. That's what Paul's doing here. And so for us, we need to be attentive to that. We need to be devoted to these things. And there's nothing wrong in praying for, for people who are ill and to, and to be concerned about that. We want to do that, but that, that can't just become the pattern of everything. The singular focus of everything that we're focused on in the context of our prayer. Remember, as Spurgeon says, prayer is the natural outgushing of a soul in communion with Jesus. So in the context of my prayer life, one of the things that's going to be evident and prevalent and consistent is thankfulness over and over and over, thanking God for saving me. My goodness, how on earth did you save me? Why did you save me? How could you save me? I, I was a poor, wretched, vile sinner. What did you do? How did you, how did you save me this way? Rejoicing in what he has spared you from. Rejoicing in the fact that he now shows you mercy 24-7, that you have an advocate in Jesus Christ who constantly makes intercession for you, as we're told in Hebrews chapter 7. Rejoicing over that, knowing that the Holy Spirit makes utterances on my behalf that, that are then translated into something that I can't even comprehend, and that my prayers are stored up like treasures by Christ in a bowl in front of him as Revelation chapter 5, of course, metaphorically, but, but the picture is of the value of our prayers. Not prayers like pagans, but prayers like the redeemed. People who are, as Paul says in Colossians chapter 1, verse 12, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us, think about it for a minute, who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. There's that inheritance word again. We talked about that. That word's important to Peter too. It's important to Paul. It should be important to us. And so we see then what we're rejoicing over in the context with our prayers Paul is praying that you would be people who would do that, that the Colossians would be people who are giving thanks to the Father. That's the same principle that he's applying here in chapter 4, verse 2. And so thanksgiving is included. If you want to, then we can say that devotion is to be the believer's stance toward prayer. Certainly, we can, be, we can bring our petitions. We can boldly go into the throne room. We ought to, but I think we have to be careful what the content of that is. If the nature of your prayer life is nothing but an endless list of needs and wants, then I would submit to you that that's not what Paul is talking about. Not at all. To the contrary, it seems to me as if this prayer life is one that is not focused on oneself, but on others and on rejoicing in Jesus Christ. Paul doesn't even ask them to pray that he's freed from prison. <laughs> I mean, look. Keeping alert in it, verse 2, with an attitude of thanksgiving, praying at the same time for us as well, that God will open to us a door for the word so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ for which I've also been imprisoned. He doesn't say, hey, Colossi believers, can you all pray that I get out of prison? He's actually praying that he's given opportunities for gospel ministry while in prison. Paul understands that his imprisonment is not going to change absent God's intervention. 
And so what he's asking for is that he's not asking for better food, a better room with a view. He's just saying, I want gospel opportunity. I want you to pray that Timothy and I have gospel opportunity, ministry opportunity, genuine God-directed ministry opportunity. That's what I want. While I'm in prison, give me that. Give me that. Pray for me that way. That's remarkable. Here, I'll just say it this way. If you're in prison and you write a letter to the church, what are you going to be asking the church to pray for? Get me out of prison. (laughs) Now, is there anything wrong with praying for that? No, not necessarily. I'm not saying that. But do you understand the focus here, the priority? This is, my friends, please, this this is a game changer. In the context of what we think about as the redeemed of Christ with regard to prayer, the purpose of prayer, the priority of prayer. Notice that the priority of prayer for Paul is, is, is about gospel opportunity, gospel ministry, even to the point that he is saying, now get this, he is saying to the Colossi believers in verse 4, I want you to pray for me. I want you to pray that God will cause me to preach the way a real preacher ought to preach. That's Paul saying that. That's that's Paul. Now you think that Paul had it down. If there's one person on the face of the planet who doesn't need to be prayed for with regard to his ability to preach, you would think it's Paul. But what does he do? He says to them, I want you to pray for me. I want you to pray for me for gospel ministry opportunity while I'm in prison. And I want you to pray that I preach away the way a real preacher ought to preach. That's a mic drop. That's unreal. That's unreal. That's so contrary to what we hear today, isn't it? I mean, get on the TV, get on the, well, do they have radios anymore? I don't even know. Whatever they have. Listen to what people talk about when they think about prayer. It's always, I'm sorry. Okay, not always, but 98% of the time, it's about them. It's about them. So for you, when you're thinking about what you ought to pray for, whenever it is that you are, are you, whenever it is that you pray, and I'm not going to give you a, a pattern. I'm not even going to tell you what my prayer life looks like for fear that you think you ought to imitate what I'm doing. No, I can tell you that I ought to pray more than I, than I do. How's that? So there you go. Pray more. <laughs> All right. So. Paul's focus, then, is driven towards Christ. And this is why he says what he does. Look what he says. He says, keeping alert. So we devote ourselves to prayer. That's a, that's a posture. That's an attitude. It's a, it's a giving. It's a, it's a sense of, of priority in many, in many ways. Keeping alert in it. Now, that's an interesting phrase. That's really quite unique. Keeping alert in it. Is Paul saying to me, stay awake while you pray? How many of you have ever fallen asleep while you were praying? Okay. There you go. That's not what he's talking about. He does want you to be engaged, your mind to be engaged. And this is what he's talking about. Keeping alert 
in it, being mindful of the things that are going on with regard to gospel opportunity, ministry opportunity, the focus on Jesus Christ, being mindful who you are praying to and what you're praying about. You don't want it to be mindless. That's interesting to me. Paul says to keep alert. What do you have to do to be alert? No, not drink a five-hour energy. They do help. I can testify to this. A five-hour energy and four motions will pretty much cure all the ills of the world. Keeping alert. So what he's saying, alertness is a mind activity. I want you to think about that for a minute. Being alert requires your mind, right? So Doug Schutte is in his workshop, and he's, he's working on a, on a board, and he's cutting something. His mind has to be alert for a variety of reasons. One, he wants to make certain that the cut is made correctly. Two, he wants to make certain that the machine is operating the way it is supposed to, so he's done things with his mind to make sure the machine is set up correctly. And thirdly, he doesn't want to cut his thumb off although he has a saw now that's not possible to do that with. But nonetheless, let's go back 10 years and think about it that way, when it was possible to cut your thumb off with a table saw. So his mind is alert, right? Our minds are alert. We're supposed to be alert while we're driving. This is the problem with texting while driving. People aren't what? Alert. They're not paying attention. They're not being mindful about driving, right? Their minds are somewhere else. They're not, what? Focused. So being alert pertains to the idea of being focused. What am I to be focused on? Well, in this situation, Paul then drives my mind in the context of being alert to what? To prayer that has an attitude of thanksgiving. Wow. So now, for me, as a redeemed person, Paul is instructed giving instruction that says, okay, John, I, I want you to have a, a Christian life that is, is devoted to prayer. I want the, 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 the principle of prayer to be something that you're devoted to. I want you to be in your mind to be engaged in it. And, and as your mind is alert and focused and thinking, as a Christian, you're going to be thinking about Jesus Christ, who has saved you, who has made you a new creation. I've just taught you all of that, John, in Colossians. I I wrote this entire epistle by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and you've just been taught it. So, John, you need to understand, you understand who Jesus Christ is, and because you understand who he is, you're going to have a heart full of thankfulness. You're going to be giving thanks to God because he's given you an inheritance in the light. Verse 12, and oh, by the way, verse 13, he has taken you out of the domain of darkness and placed you into the kingdom of light by the finished work of Jesus Christ. And oh, by the way, who is Jesus Christ? He's everything. He's all things. He is the embodiment of the Godhead. And oh, oh, by the way, John, in chapter 1, 2, I told you that God has, you were alienated from him and you were hostile. So don't forget to be focused on that principle too. And that you've been reconciled to God the Father through Jesus Christ. And you're a trophy of grace. Well, pastor, I don't know what to pray about. <laughs> oh, really? Have you read Colossians? So, oh, and I got to be mindful of the fact, too, that 
legalism doesn't work. And so I rejoice in the fact that, that Jesus Christ did all the work for me. It, it doesn't prevent me from engaging in acts of immorality, but my faithfulness to Christ will compel me and move me in that direction. And that God has clothed me in righteousness and that I'm being built up in Christ. And because of that, I have certain virtues that I can demonstrate. And, and because of that too, then I forbear and I forgive. And thank you, Lord, for that. And forgive me for not doing that. Oh, and I have a wife that I need to love like Christ has loved the church. And oh, I have a husband that I need to love and submit to, even though he may not be the man I ever wanted. But, but because you love me so much, I will rise above it. And oh, by the way, I'm a slave and I don't want to be a slave, but you've put me here and I'm going to rejoice in the fact that you saved me and that I was in bondage to sin. But now that you're my master, I'm going to be focused and alert in my prayer and I'm going to be thankful I'm going to be thankful for all that he has done for me in my salvation. That's what Paul's talking about. It's not a prayer list of, of a bunch of people who've got maladies that may never go away, but it's a list that gives me the context in which I rejoice in the finished work of Jesus Christ. That is different. That is dramatically different. So, for Paul then... This focus drives me. Isn't it interesting that the alertness drives me into thanksgiving and the thankfulness based upon Jesus Christ? An attitude of thanksgiving. 1 Thessalonians 5.17. I mean, we can turn right over there. It's just a couple of pages over. Look at this. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 16 through 18. Rejoice always. <laughs> what? Yes, rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. So as I'm rejoicing, I'm praying too, and I'm rejoicing over the fact that what God has done for me. I mean, life was just as challenging for the Thessalonians as it was for the Colossians. In verse 18, in everything give thanks. For that, for this, is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Wow. That's, that's significant. That's significant. Again, it's, it's Christ-driven, Christ-focused prayer. Now, look at this with me. This is significant. Paul, of course, wants us to keep alert. To be focused, to be attentive, to be mindful of the things that are a priority for God. That's significant. So look what he says, verse 3. Now, he says, praying. And so again, this is one of those tenses that expresses that ongoing attitude or mindset. There's, a, there's an activity that is going on. So now we've gotten the focus part correct. We're, we're devoted Christian prayers whose minds are focused on the finished work of Christ that causes us to be thankful. So clearly the idea is that in your prayer life, one of the priorities is to be in a posture of devotion given over to thankfulness. 
because of what Christ has done. Verse 3, now this, look at this. He's going to get a little bit, he's going to go a little bit deeper into the context, content, praying at the same time for us as well. So he's saying the priority, first of all, in the context of your devotion with alertness in praying is to rejoice over what Jesus Christ has done for you. It's interesting that in the context of that, I've got another Spurgeon quote here. It, he, Spurgeon said this, prayer is not meant for the Lord's information. The question is not put to you that you may instruct him, but that he may instruct you. Okay? So what are most of our prayers? They're instructions to him. God, do this. God, please do that. God, do this thing. God, be this way. God, provide this thing. No. It's interesting that in in terms of this type of attitude of alertness, that type of praying gets my mind off of who? Me. It puts my mind on where? Christ. Right? Certainly it reminds me who I am, who I was when 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 he saved me, what I've been saved from, right? So again, the list is getting flipped. Now he says this. He doesn't even prioritize his own dire circumstances above that which ought to be the priority of prayer, which is to be rejoicing over what God has done for you in Jesus Christ. He then says this, praying at the same time for us as well. It's okay to pray for other people. I'm not saying that. Paul's not saying that. But look at the content now. Look at the, notice the, the words are important. Words mean things. Praying at the same time for us as well, Timothy and Paul, that God will open up to us a door for the opportunity to escape. That the chains will be taken off. No. An opportunity for the what? Word. What is the word? The gospel. The content of scripture. So what he is saying is that I want you to pray for us that God, now he's recognizing something here, he's dependence on God, God gives the increase, right? So he's sovereign in his prayer. He's saying, I want you to pray that God will give us gospel opportunity, gospel ministry opportunity, that I will have an opportunity to preach the word. That's what he's saying to the Colossians. I want you to pray this way. I don't want you to pray that I get out of prison. I don't want you to pray that I feel better. I don't want you to pray. I want you to pray about this. That's, that's so significant, that God will open to us a door for the word. Why? so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ. Remember that? Good students, you remember that, don't you? Go back to verse 25 of chapter 1. Paul says, verse 25 of chapter 1, Of this church I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God bestowed on me for your benefit, so that I might fully carry out the preaching of the word of God, that is, 
the mystery which has been hidden from past ages and generations, but has now been made manifested, has now been manifested to his saints, to whom God willed to make known that what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Well, that's what Paul wants to do in Rome. Who are his primary captors? They're not Jews, they're Gentiles, right? And he's there, and he wants the opportunity to speak forth the mystery of Christ. We proclaim him crucified, right? That's what Paul would say. That's what the book of Acts talks about. That's what Peter did. And he reminds them, I've been in prison for preaching. I'm here because I did this. And while I'm here, I'm going to continue to do it. You would think that being in prison would quell one's um, desires for preaching. Ah, I think I'm going to keep my mouth shut. And even though he was under house arrest, house arrest in Rome was no picnic. He was still a prisoner, and he would eventually be decapitated. So, think about that. He's there, and he's asking the Colossi believers to pray for him that God would open doors for him to preach the mystery of Christ. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. And finally then, in conclusion, he says this, that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. So what Paul is saying here, he he is asking them to pray that he would have clarity in his preaching. Not just that his words make sense, but that the priority of Christ is clear. You see this? That I may, that I may make it clear. What is, what, what's the it refer back to? The mystery in the prior verse, in verse 3. That my preaching will emphasize the finished work of Jesus Christ. And that I make that the priority. That I don't make it about myself. That I don't spend all the time talking about me or something else. I'm going to make Jesus Christ the priority in my preaching. I want you to pray for me because I will tell you the temptation for a pastor is to not do that. That's why you got guys dressing up like Woody in their churches and making movies the priority. Yeah, Saddleback, the new pastor, the guy who replaced Rick Warren, him and his wife parade out last week dressed up like Clarabelle and Woody or whatever that character is, in their complete costumes. And the whole point was to kind of, I don't know what the point was, to entertain the witness to the circus while dressed up like clowns, I guess. That's what they were doing. And oh, by the way, everyone got a free pass to a movie. Unbelievable. No. Here Paul is in prison. He doesn't dress up like the latest thespian character at the Greek Colosseum or the Roman theater to try to win people over to Christ. He says, I want you to pray that God opens doors and I want to preach the gospel. I don't even care if I am in prison. I don't care that I'm here because I was preaching. They're not going to stop me. I'm going to keep on preaching. And pray for me that when I do preach, it's with power and passion and precision. 
That's what I want. Pray that way. Don't pray to get me out of prison. Don't, I, don't want you to, I want you to pray that God gives me gospel opportunity. That's what he wants. That's unbelievable. Got churches up and down this road that won't even crack this book open for fear of offending somebody. And Paul's asking people to pray for him to give him boldness to open the book and preach, regardless of the consequence. He knows he's going to die. He knows it. He doesn't care because Christ is his priority, not the modern age. Others had forsaken Paul. We're going to read about one of them in Colossians here, Demas. He leaves him, abandons him. But Paul wanted him, this church, to pray for him, that he would be Christ-focused at every opportunity that God gave him. That's, that's a game changer in terms of what we ought to be praying for. You ought to be praying for each other and for me as your pastor. God, I want, bless John, keep his mind focused on the word. May he proclaim Christ and him crucified. That's what we want from our pastor. That's your priority in prayer for me. Over and I appreciate the prayers about getting hurt on a horse and, and my hip hurting and whatever, but the priority for you, for you, for me, is to pray that I come here and preach with precision and clarity about Jesus Christ. God will take care of my hip in His time. That your priority for me, and my priority for you, and I don't want you to be offended about this, but my... A pastor is to be given over to devotion, to prayer, and the reading and studying of Scripture and the proclamation of the Word. So when I'm praying for you, I care about your health. I do. But my priority for you is that, I will tell you right now, that my prayer for you is that God will work in your hearts, that you will love Jesus Christ more, that you will be devoted to Him, that you will love Him, that you will give your life over to Him and serve Him in all circumstances, and that you'll be salt and light for Him in a dark and dying world because people need the Lord. Do I know that you're sick? I do know that you're sick. Do I care that you're sick? I do care that you're sick, but I care more that you know Jesus Christ. I care more about that. Jesus Christ said, the poor you will have with you you always made himself the priority. Makes himself the priority over all of our physical circumstances. This is what Paul's talking about. And to have that attitude in your prayer about being thankful. Has God saved your children? (laughs) Then praise him for it. In your prayers, rejoice over the fact and pray that God would sanctify them, that they would see Jesus Christ and know him more. And you can pray for your unsaved children too, and you ought to. Those are the priorities. Gospel opportunities, gospel ministry, that's the priority. I hope that this opens your mind to see what is the priority of Scripture with regard to the content of the redeemed's prayer life. This is very different than what we're given. Jesus is not a genie. Philippians tells us 
that God not only ordained your salvation, but your suffering. I think we forget that. We forget that. Let's rejoice that we are the redeemed of Christ and in our prayers have an attitude of thankfulness for the fact that he saved us. Lord, we love you. Thank you for the exhortations from Scripture. May we take them and apply them to our lives. Forgive us for making things other than Christ and our gratefulness, priorities in our prayer life. Help us to be more scriptural, more focused on what you have done for us. And may you, Lord, give us gospel opportunities. Open doors for us that the word may be proclaimed in our families, in our homes, at work, in the community. Do that for us, we pray, Lord. You are in control of these things. We petition you and ask that you would do that. We praise you.